My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. You can actually achieve the best of both worlds in, in, in many circumstances. Whereas when I was buying for a home, I was buying purely with my heart and with no real um, consideration for yeah, the investment potential of that home. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we'll continue our discussion with property investor and buyer's agent Giles Hill. Having bought and sold over a dozen properties, Hill shares the most important lessons he learned as a young investor, including his most exciting moments as well as his worst. Having purchased properties in England before moving here to Australia, Hill's investment journey is a little different to most. I pick his brain about his current portfolio, learning some interesting facts about his strategies. So I've probably had about bought about 12, 13, about 13 properties for my yeah for myself in my own own journey, um, and and it, and it's you know it's it's more about the lessons that's learned because I don't hold many of them. I've sold them, and you know one of the things which would have been great would have been to hold some of these. Um, and, but the reality is, is quite often you know you do really need to release the capital because you know as as you and your listeners will know, it, it comes down to serviceability, and um, yeah, sometimes you just need to access that capital. So um, yeah, there's a couple of them which would have been really nice to still own, <laughs> but they were kind of all part of of where it's led me to to today. Also, I bought properties on a number of occasions because from a lifestyle perspective. And yeah, and they didn't perform as well as investments. I and mean, obviously, that wasn't the the primary purpose. But had I known what I know today, I would have been much more strategic in my property acquisitions because you can actually achieve the best of both worlds in in, in many circumstances. Whereas when I was buying for a home, I was buying purely with my heart and with no real um, consideration for yeah, the investment potential of that home. Having bought and sold so many properties. Hill has an opportunity to reflect on his moments of the past. Yeah, when I look at what I can, what I know today, you know, it's, it's it's so much, and it all just comes through from experience. They say it's the good experiences, the bad experiences, and I just operated with no real strategy, um, with no real data or, or evidence to back what I was doing. I was just yeah, lucky sometimes and lucky others, even luckier others, but there really was nothing there. And that's one of the things which is, you know, now I could see that I could have 
you know, I don't know, I feel I'm very successful, but I financially I could have potentially been more productive if I'd followed a, you know, a, a, a strategy. So, what about his worst investment moments? Hill has his fair share. That first property which we talked about, the four-bedroom house, which I had for 13 years, there was a period there where I had a tenant in there and he stopped, just stopped paying the rent. Yeah, if, and you know he, he he then he'd pay some jibs and jabs. He was having he was having a tough a, a tough a tough time. Um, I, I think it was self. I was probably self managed, or the agency didn't do much about it. Really, it, it was a difficult. The guy had been there a long time and he'd paid his rent. Um, you know, I went around. I spoke to him. I you know tried to yeah you know, see if we could come to some sort of arrangement. Um, and then finally, you know, he, and and. He, he he moved out, um, and you know, one of the neighbours fortunately let me know that 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 had happened. Uh, but he left; his house was full of stuff. I don't understand them. They must have been going through obviously a tough time. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I think that maybe they yeah they were a, they were a big family. Obviously, it was a four bedroom house. I think maybe he he went through a separation or something. Yeah, something. Yeah, obviously, tough tough times had happened. But they left the house was absolutely full of rubbish and furniture and all sorts of stuff. I remember having to get a hire a skip and go around there and and, and clear it clear it clear it all out. So that was a bit a bit of a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I could imagine. I guess you know, like when people leave those kind of things, what was this in the UK or was this in Sydney that happened? By the way, yeah, that was the UK. That was the first house that I bought, that one in, in, in Berkshire in, in England back in 1990. The one thing I again, it's only been you know, more recent. I really started to understand, um, yeah, the, the fluctuations in the market and how you know when is a good time and how when it's not a good time and also how to really ensure that you get the best possible sale price for that asset. You know, I just probably gave, I gave it to a local agent. I didn't go, you know, I didn't spend sufficient time really to understand what its market value was or who the best agent might've been. You know, it was just that kind of you know, knee jerk reaction. Yeah. It might've been better to renovate it and sell it or to style it. There might've been some things that I could have done, which would have further increased the, the return on that investment. But, you know, I was just glad to, glad to see the back of it. Hill couldn't wait to wash his hands with that property after having learned his lesson. So, did he have any aha moments or realizations which made his life easier in his future investing career? So, I've been in Australia for 20 years but nine years ago, I was back in the UK for nine months. My wife's Swedish and we, we yeah, wanted to be close to her family in, in Sweden so we tried uh, the, the UK. Um, Fortunately, we were able to come back to Australia, which is which is which is great. But whilst I was there, I did a couple of uh, I wanted to get involved in doing a property project. Then that was at the time when I decided that you know, property was my my future. After years spent working in the telecommunications industry, he'll realise that property investing was the way forward. Post my my 25 years of IT telco sales, so I got to England. We rented we 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 rented a house there, and I looked for a project. I just wanted to get stuck into something. I've had two babies, <laughs> and a wife at home. I just wanted to, you know, I just can't. I'm, I'm not, I can't sit can't sit still. And I, it's interesting to actually. I bought a property, so I looked, and in, it's quite interesting. I knew that I was better off to be closer to the centre of London because the property market is just so much stronger. And every month, this company, the one I used was, was Savills. They were an auction house and yeah, they create a book and they just, yeah, you go to a massive auction and they sell those properties. And I bought a property, it was a terrace house in Twickenham, which was in need of yeah, renovation. And I bought that at auction and um, it was £400,000. 
And um, what happens is once you've bought it, you have a 20 day settlement period. So it all happens happens pretty quick. And within that period, I, I was able to get the keys and to, to go and check it out. I thought, well, I'll get around there, see if I can get a few local builders around or get a few local estate agents around so I can start to understand what to do to this house to make sure it suits the local demographic. And I met a, a real estate agent who came around and he he told me how well I'd done on my purchase. And I knew I, I bought it for less than I expected to pay. And he said that he could sell it for more. And I was, well, well, I said, well, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a money-making exercise. You can, uh, you know, once I get my keys, I, you know, I'm gonna, it's going to take me a month to line up my builder and, and to get my, my drawings done for my loft conversion, whatever is required. Take it for that length of time. If you can sell it, then you can, you, you have a go. That's up, that's up to you. And the great thing in the UK is the real estate agent covers your marketing fees. So I had nothing to lose. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in there working out what we're going to do with it. If you want, if you think you can sell it, then yeah, have, you know, give it your best shot. doesn't matter to me. Anyway, after the day it settled, <laughs> I gave him a set, of, a, set of, a set of keys and within a week he'd sold it for £100,000 more than I bought it for. So which, which was back then was probably about $160,000. And um you know, obviously, I had to take that because it was such a phenomenal result. It's the easiest, easiest money to ever be made. Um, but on the on the on the flip side, I was a little bit disappointed because it had taken away this opportunity for me to get you know get my hands dirty and and get stuck into a project. So consequently, I went and bought another property not far away in the suburb of Barnes in southwest London, um, and this was another terrace house. But this terrace house had been divided into two, so it had a, a ground floor apartment or unit, and then one on the first floor and I bought the one on the first floor and I knew that I could do a loft conversion to make to increase it the size of it and modernize it um, and I bought it and I and I and I, and I started to, to get the, the work done and it was it was going to be beautiful it was a lovely lovely old house and it was a great renovation I got a good builder um, and then it came time to sell that property and it wouldn't sell well it's just before I, I started to sell it before it had even been finished just to see what level of interest there was and um, what happened is that and I fell foul of this is that the property was on a lease it's just a lease between the the, the ground floor flat and the first floor flat but it has a lease because it's a share of the freehold which is the land that the property is built on and I knew that but I didn't think much about it but what had happened is the lease which was on there only had like 25 years left to run and in the UK, anyone who, you know, who was looking to buy that, who was going to go to a bank to borrow money or, or to a lender to borrow money to buy that, the lender wouldn't lend money because if it's got less than 50 years left on the lease, they won't lend the money. See, and I, because I'd bought it cash, because I'd had all my, my, all my money I'd sold up in, we sold up in Sydney when we went back there, so I, would, I had enough cash to buy it. I hadn't foreseen that problem, and I hadn't asked myself why it hadn't sold before. I just thought I got myself a good deal. So that would be, think, would be easy enough to sort out. But unfortunately, the lady who lived on the lower level was a very difficult to deal with. But ultimately, we had to do a, a new lease, which was, it becomes a 999-year lease. And then that property can be can be a finance or money can be borrowed against it to buy it. Did that take long to get that? Because I mean, I don't even know. I've never heard of a 999-year lease before. I, I know it happens commercially because I know that big buildings and stuff like that, they usually lease the land from you know commercials and 
big businesses and so forth. That's quite common. Yeah, so I mean, it's a little bit like, I mean, I've got a development going on at the moment. It's a little bit like this a similar thing where you have two houses and they're, if they're on a, you know, it's, they've got a shared driveway and it's on a strata, it's the same sort of principle as that because you've got, you've got something which, you know, potentially the condition of one can impact the other or the value of the other or there's areas which are shared like this this house house obviously they sit on the same piece of land um and they also have like a shared front door and hallway so it's just a case of managing that yeah for any future incident or issue that might appear but that was a, that was a big learning curve <laughs> how long did that process take to get that lease set up and then finally you know to be able to get refinancing um well it probably took about three it probably took three months to to, to 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 get that problem resolved, um, but, the, but the lady downstairs was quite a shrewd operator, and she would only re-enter into a new lease if she got a, an extra piece of land from the yard. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was a big, big learning, big, big, big learning curve on that on on that property. That's probably one of my worst investing moments, because what also compounded the problem with that property was then, um, then it was sold. Um, in a declining market, which was unfortunate. And then I was back in Australia then, and the solicitor who dealt with the sale, he, he took the money, I gave him some details. He was meant to put it into like a holding account, like an international holding account, but he didn't. He paid it into the account and he converted it into Australian dollars, which wasn't what he was supposed to do because the exchange rate was very volatile at the time and had major problems. And then the bank reversed the transaction, but it, it, it devalued then, and then it was sat in a holding pattern. And I had to wait and decide, and it was probably one of the most stressed moments in my life because every day it was, you know, you was losing or making, making, making money, and I lost a fair bit. Uh, but then I was just glad to to to, to be done with. But uh, it's just it's just 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 two two different completely different experience one was like the easiest one in in, in this nine months one was just the easiest opportunity and the second was like the most challenging opportunity he all explains his movements between the uk and australia during that time and how he managed a property from overseas yeah so I was there for about nine months and then i then i was back and and that's when this sale was going through. So I was stuck over here. You've got the time. You've got the time zone challenge. You're dealing with banks who don't really, don't you don't feel they really really care. And everything you own is tied up in this transaction. Yeah, that is a, a bit of a nightmare by the sounds of it. What was the reason for going back to the UK for that short period of time? Yeah, well, so we so I sold up. We sold up a property here, and we went back. Yeah, just with a view to maybe living closer to my wife's family in Sweden. I don't want to be in Sweden, you know, because I, you know, I don't, I speak, don't speak Swedish, and it's colder than England. Um, so that's why we went there because it's you know, obviously much, 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 much closer in the same, same time zone. And then eventually, you both decided to come back to Australia and then settle back down in Australia for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, we just became, came to. I think what happened, my wife had come out here in 2001. We met here. But her family were always expecting her to re- re- return, and then after our children were born. Yeah, they were a close family, and it was difficult to have that distance between them. Um, but now we've, worked, you know, everyone's worked out the way it is, and that's accepted. And we, unfortunately, due to COVID, we've not gone this year, but we we go back as regular as we possibly can. Moving back to Australia and away from family support was challenging for Hill and his wife, but their vision for success was strong. Hill talks us through the strategies he used to build his portfolio after the return to Australia. 
Yeah, so what's what's become apparent to me really was that, you know, the the, the best way to create wealthy property or to, or to create uh, or build equity is is to buy properties in locations which are going to outperform the averages. So the location you can do you know basically can do the heavy lifting. And the way I see it is you need to buy in an area where there's you know, strong demand for people who want to live there, and also some scarcity of stock. They're the two things. A lot of people look at the supply and demand, and they get a little bit starry-eyed by the demand side of things. Yeah, and statistically, you can illustrate an area has got massive growth happening in that area, or forecasted growth is very strong. But if there's no limitation in the stock or supply of property there, then obviously that that demand can be satisfied quite easily. So the important thing is to is to have demand, but also scarcity. And the, probably the third major factor there is that demand for property needs to be, ideally needs to be from people who have access to capital, you know, who have um, you know, high disposable income, because they're the ones who can go, you know, no, I'm having it, no, I'm having it, I'm having it, I'm having it. And that's what obviously ultimately drives the house prices up or, or property prices up in a particular area. And that's where I, you know, and I could see that. That's where my, my first-hand experience of buying those properties in, in London, for example, they outperformed that full bedroom house, which was further out of London, and that's because yeah, it's a more dynamic location, and that's why now you know, my for me and for my clients that I work with, yeah, my focus is 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 really to be yeah in, on the in the middle ring of of Sydney and Melbourne in areas where the yeah, aspirational professional people want to live, and there's limited amount of stock, so they have to compete for that. And certainly also in areas where they can't carve up land for more you know, subdivisions or build more homes, and they can't build high rise in those areas either. And that means that there's going to be consistent, consistent demand. So that became that's you know, and that's a cornerstone of my investment strategy is buying in the right location that's going to outperform the averages and holding it for a long period of time. I say unfortunately I didn't hold all of my properties for a long period of time, but I I I my strategy, whether it was a strategy on, you know, I just rolled one into another, rolled into another, and ultimately ended up where I am today. Um so that's the one that's the one part of it. The other part of it is is that you know I've got a big focus on you know what I now call or refer to as manufacturing equity. So it's having an asset in that right location, but also by having an asset where we can increase the value of that asset by doing something to it so it could be as simple as a renovation but my focus is probably more on developing it it could be buying a you know so to fly, typically my choice is to buy older houses on bigger blocks and that gives the option to perhaps put another another house on the back of the block or perhaps knock it down and put three or four townhouses Coming up after the break, we hear some more of Hill's strategy and tips to find the right areas to invest in. The two drivers or, or what creates that access to capital are interest rates, which are as low as they can go, which is what's driven that last boom, which you've talked about really. We hear about his family renovation projects. And he suffered by, you suffer know, bad advice and bad trades and all those different things that, that go wrong. And when your family is living in one room, it puts a lot of pressure on you to try and get it, <laughs> get it, get, get it done. What advice he would give to his past self if he got the chance? You know, I spent 30 years learning lessons, which, yeah, a lot of other people have had to learn exactly the same lessons. You know, if I'd, if I'd spent a little bit of money and, and learned those lessons from somebody else, I could have fast-tracked my own success. And that's next. 
I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hill and I are discussing the strategy he refers to as manufacturing equity where he increases equity to gain extra cash flow in order to leapfrog into the next investment opportunity. Yeah, I explain this to people. So, you know, what, what drives house price growth? It's, yeah, it's people's it's market sentiment and people's access to capital. If people have got money, more money, then they'll spend more money on, on, on buying homes. But the two drivers or, or what creates that access to capital are interest rates, which are as low as they can go, which is what's driven that last boom, which you've talked about really, so people can access more money for the same salary, then they're going to spend more. And the other one is wages growth. And wages growth has been very slow in Australia for a long time. And when we come out of the, you know, hopefully for too long, we come out of COVID, yeah, there isn't going to be a lot of wages growth as unemployment grows, then um, yeah, wages growth is going to be you know, non-existent or be minimal. So again, picking that location where the potential future buyers are people who are who are more likely to benefit from wages growth again is is an advantageous it's going to support that growth but what i say to people is regardless you know if we even if we're going for a period of you know very little growth over the next 10 years let's at least make sure you position your investment property in a location that when things get back to normal and there is more growth then you're positioned to take advantage of it but in the meantime, obviously, we've got that opportunity to manufacture equity. And as you as you alluded to, then what I like to do is, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite simplistic, and I'm like, if in people's working is, I'm not the type of clients I work with. We're not particularly looking for rental income. We're looking to for, to to build an asset base for the future. So I'm not talking to people who perhaps want to give up their day job. It's about people who enjoy their day job and they recognise that. Yeah, that's, that, that funds their lifestyle. But whilst they're going to work, operating you know, behind them is yeah, this, this investment strategy, which is going to give them yeah, an asset base for the future. So when they choose to transition to retirement, they've got options, whether they hold on to them, they sell them, transition them to higher yield investments. Doesn't really matter what what you want to do. It's just about building that asset base. And my focus there is is not on quantity. Um, I'm much more like on quality and the quality of the asset. And obviously, the proportion of equity you hold in it is the key. Hill shares the details of how himself and his family ended up in their current residence after he became a stay-at-home dad. So I worked for this 25 years in IT telecommunications. And then when my children were born, when my son was born. Um, I took some. T- I took time out of, of work, and I was tired of corporate by that point. And it was refreshing to to have a, have a step back. My wife is younger, and she was more excited or more and more ambitious about her career at that time. So it seemed like a great opportunity for her to go back to work following her maternity leave, and I'd become a stay-at-home kind of dad. And because I can't sit still and can't watch t- baby TV all day, I also started to do like cosmetic renovation. So my first house, we moved from Sydney, I moved to a property in Rose Bay. Uh, And whilst my kids were small, I would be renovating the property. And then I sold that property just prior to going back to to the UK. I did a couple of different projects in in the UK. And when we came back, I wanted to look for another property project. 
a lot of our friends and, and people, family, well, not friends, not family, sorry, friends had talked about, you know, the Northern Beaches being a great place to live. This is the Northern Beaches of Sydney. Prior to a trip back to Europe for nine months, we'd been living in the eastern suburbs, which had been, a, which was, which is a great part of of, of Sydney. But we could, I could see that uh, what I heard from the Northern Beaches, that it was going to be a great place for kids. So when we returned, we rented a place in North Manly um, to see if we liked it, knowing that if we didn't, if it didn't work out, we could go back to to what we knew. But as soon as we got here, it just felt like being on holiday. There's something about being close the Northern Beaches, which has a just really relaxed feel. Felt a bit like going to Queensland or something to me. Um, and we rented a place here and I looked for a project. So I wanted something to do to get stuck into. And I bought a house on in the suburb of North Calcal, which was a, an older house, like an, almost like a weatherboard type of cottage, um, which I could see there was the opportunity to, to completely uh, renovate. Had some good, had some quite solid bones for it for a property of that era, but there was an opportunity to, to work on work on that. So we bought that house and we moved into it, and uh, I did an extensive renovation on this 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 property. And uh, it's interesting because it, it was it's on two levels, and the lower level was like a little self-contained granny flat, and we spent the four of us lived in there <laughs> for, 12, for for twelve months, um, which you could never do with the kids the age they are now. But because the kids were little, they were like toddlers. It was all quite exciting and fun to to have a bunk bed and a trundle, and everyone squeezed in this little little room. And I, and I did this house as a development as an owner builder, so I worked on it, you know, day in day day out. In fact, it was. It was a, quite a challenge because it was a. If I'd known what I knew now, I would never have started it. It was a little bit like one of those grand design shows where everything seems to go wrong. You learn very, very, very quickly, and you suffer like you know, bad advice and bad trades and all those different things that that go wrong. And when your family is living in one room, it puts a lot of pressure on you to try and get it, <laughs> get it, get get it done. And then we were able to move up into the new part of the house, and then I've renovated the lower part of the house. And the original idea was that then you know, that would be sold, and I would move on to my next product project. But we love living here, <laughs> so <laughs> so that was great. But uh, obviously, that ties up a lot of a, a, a lot of capital. Um, what happened then is I had a, a, a friend of mine who was who worked as a financial planning business, and. Um, at the time, and they'd asked me if you know, what I was going to do next, and you know, would I be interested in helping their clients with with property investment on selling properties and just helping you know, assisting them with their with their investment property portfolios? And that's what led me into working in, in what I what I do today. We move on to discuss Hill's current development project and the strategy he's implementing this time around. So I don't have a big portfolio problem. So most of my pod- properties which I've purchased have all rolled into this one property which I'm sitting in, sitting in now, which is a beautiful house. And probably five years ago or six years ago, I bought a property which is not that far away in the suburb of, of Collaroy. And I bought a 1,200 square meter block, which had at the time, like, had a, a, a development application approval. But it was actually a it was actually a deferred DA approval, which is again something which I was quite naive and didn't understand fully at the time, which means it's a DA subject to certain conditions. But I bought it anyway, and um, twelve hundred square meter block with an approval for two dwellings on it, and the house is it had an old house on it which had a tenant in it who's been there, been there for many years, and it's been kept and it, until this this year it's been tenanted, 
And this really is, is, is a great illustration of the kind of strategy which, which I employ. Predominantly, I buy in Melbourne because it's, it's much lower cost of entry from my clients. But that property has you know, gone up in value probably five or 600,000 without doing anything. Yeah. And now, obviously, I have the opportunity to manufacture the equity. So we're currently under construction and we're putting two dwellings onto that block. There'll be like two luxury homes, values at probably $2 million each. Uh, yeah, so, you know, and, and ultimately, uh, it'll be a $4 million worth of property. Um, it'll have $2.5 million worth of debt and a million, $1.5 million worth of equity. Equity, yeah, that's a very nice move. And that's all done with borrowed money. So, yeah, the return on the, I mean, there's, you, you're putting in 20% of the build costs, but predominantly it's done with with borrowed money. So the return on 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 on, on capital is, is is massive. Yeah, absolutely. That's the kind of model. And obviously, again, you, you touched on this a little bit before, and this is what I love about the, 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 the Melbourne sites is we can buy a property for an investor. We can do the due diligence for development and they can hold it for four or five, as many years as they like. But at the point where we decide to turn it from one older house into three or four townhouses, there's just a massive equity gain. They can make half a million dollars on that. They'll make money on it because of the growth, because it will perform as, you know, as as well as anywhere else or better than anywhere else. It'll outperform the averages for capital growth, whether or not there is any. But post-development, they've just got all those options because then it goes to a you know, strongly cash flow positive investment but we know it's in an area which is going to be great and it's always going to continue to grow so the best thing obviously is to to hold those properties take advantage of the depreciation allowances and set yourself up for your retirement but again if you want to go again you've got options if you've got three or four on separate titles maybe you can you want to sell two or sell one or keep all four just gives you lots and lots of options in his more recent investment years hill has adopted the attitude that a simple strategy is a successful one I really do think that, I, and, it's, and, it's, and it's been th- through thirty years of investing and and and, and learning, and it's great now because there's so much content available, which you probably you know, wasn't available when I started. But you put you put all that together, and there's so many different strategies, so many different things that people talk about. But when you boil it down, you can actually make it quite simple and straightforward. It doesn't have to be that complicated. People talk to me, oh, you know, is, is it risky or is it not? And it doesn't even it doesn't have to be high risk if you stick to to you know, prove and try and tested ways of investing, um, yeah, and stick to those fundamentals. Yeah, it 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 will work. We find out what other advice he'll recommends to achieve the kind of success he has now. I think the the access to the data you get. I mean, people refer to it as RP data. I think the subscription I have is Price Finder, but also obviously real estate common and and, and domain. You've got access to so much information about your suburbs, street properties, and, and 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 that for me is invaluable. So I do very detailed feasibilities of of properties to buy to develop for my clients, and it's having access to all that information, which is not my own. You know, I can look at a house on the same street. I can see exactly how much it's sold for. I can see exactly how much the offspring sold for or is rented for. Yeah, and I know my bill costs, I know my council fees, I know my consultancy fees, and I can use all that. But if I could only base that on my own experience, then it'd be very limited. But having access to that, you know, every property, you know, ones that I've looked at, which I haven't bought or have been unsuccessful, I just still trace them, you know, buying in the same suburbs. And that data just is, 
it is invaluable to see, to see that. So I think you, you know, due diligence is key, and learning to. I mean, my thing is 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 what I've tried to learn to know is is learning to look at properties and, and really ask yourself why you shouldn't buy them. It's very easy to say, yeah, I want to buy something, and it's very easy to get that. Yeah, this um, yeah, cognitive biases that just your know, positive affirmations. Yeah, it looks good. You start reading stuff and you start convincing yourself that something is great and this area is going to be brilliant. And you really have to do the completely opposite and go try and convince yourself why you shouldn't why why you shouldn't why you shouldn't buy it. And that's where that data can provide a lot of a lot of information. And unfortunately, in in Australia, it's just such an expensive mistake because of the because of the stamp duty implications. It, yeah, buying yeah buying and selling costs you just you know i say this to people all the time you just you know you just you've got to get get it right and that's when you know yeah when people it's great because the type of clients i deal with typically can, can see the, the the value but you know what you pay someone like me as a buyer's agent it's just like the best money it's the same you know people will spend that money when they sell that property to a, a real estate agent it'll have an absolutely no impact on the success of that investment they might have held it for 10 years but the right advice at the outset yeah, that's just the best money you can you can spend. It's the difference between yeah, half a million or a million in 10, 15 years. With a wealth of knowledge behind him now, what would Hill say if he met his younger self 10 years ago? I think I'd tell myself to, um, yeah, just just don't worry, Giles, you've got this, you know. Because <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, the, the main things I've done in this period was obviously build, build, building this house and also you know, going into, in, into business. And it's easy to get... Um, yeah, caught up or stressed or worried about things, but you know, I'm 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 sorted now, so I don't need to let the little things worry me. Um, I guess the other two things I probably learned, which would have been nice to have told myself, is to is to follow your gut, because if you know your gut instinct is very very powerful, and yeah, you know, I've been in a busy situation where I, I I knew it wasn't part of me knew it wasn't right but I continued to to, to to proceed with it and also to supporting that as well you know just documenting things you know I was involved in in, in a business relationship which I didn't you know failed to to, you know, to document or you know I, I perhaps a little bit over trusting a little bit over optimistic and yeah you know, I, I sometimes neglect to focus on on the detail so that would be good advice to myself I'm a bit, a bit excitable sometimes. There's other things on that one that I think is really interesting. I wouldn't mind if I had the opportunity to say, talk to myself 30 years ago, which is probably would have made a big, a big, a bigger difference. Would have been to seek the support of others. And I think, you know, I go back to you know, you might, the way I was brought up. Yeah, you know, we didn't have any interaction with other with other people. My, you know, my parents, they didn't. Yeah, you know, they never borrowed things from people. They never helped other people with other things. There was no, no sharing or support or creating a, a, a network. It was, you know, it makes you very independent. You know, it's like you can do anything yourself, and it created a very strong, you know, DIY or do-it-yourself attitude or mindset. Which, on the one hand, is is really good because it, you know, it gives you confidence to take things on. It gives you curiosity to understand things. So, you know, I'm thankful of that. But what what I lacked was the recognizing the benefit of you know seeking a mentor to help me. I think you know the. One of the biggest things I've learned, one of the biggest lessons I'll give to my kids, is, is that you don't have to learn all the lessons yourself. You know, I spent 30 years learning lessons, which yeah, a, a lot of other people have had to learn exactly the same lessons. You know, if I'd if I'd spent a little bit of money and, and learned those lessons from somebody else, I could have fast tracked my own success. 
the other ones would be 30 years ago was you know, outsource stuff to us, which goes again with that DIY. You don't have to do it all yourself. Focus on what you're really good at and you know, pay for good advice and good support in those other areas. So, how much of Hill's success is down to skill, hard work and intelligence and how much of it is down to luck? I think this is an element of skill. I think through experience and practice, you can be comes what you do. Uh, so I think skill is ongoing and I think yeah, I've benefited from the skills that I've developed. Um, intelligence, I wouldn't pipe myself as being intelligent. I'm not academically gifted. I'm going to struggle with my kids' maths homework when it gets to, to, to high school. Um, but the skills definitely. Um, the luck. I think there's a lot of luck, you know, I feel very fortunate, you know, obviously to, 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 to be where I am today. And you know, obviously I'm lucky that I was you know, born in England as a part of other parts of the world when, when that happened. I think there's a saying, I think it was Arnold Palmer, the golfer, which was like, the more I practice, the luckier I, I get. And I, and I feel life's like that. So I think that you, you know, perhaps it's not hard to work because you can just do the same thing religiously. Um, the more adventurous you are, more curious you are, the, 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 the more you experience, the greater opportunity you have to be lucky. And then obviously you have to capitalize on that luck. So yeah, I'd say luck plays, plays a fair part, but you have to make yourself be lucky by putting yourself in positions where that might happen. Thank you to Giles Hill, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey and get a copy of this episode guide on the website, head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash guide. This guide will give you the inside scoop on the little gold nuggets of wisdom all our guests share from the backstories and their overall strategies and philosophies. Plus, you'll get a copy of the advice broken down and shared in a quick and easy to consume format. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.